Our Unitarian Universalist living tradition draws from six diverse sources. Our second source is the words and deeds of prophetic people, which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, with compassion, and with the transforming power of love. And I would like to invite us to trace some of the ways that those transformative, prophetic people, they aren't born in a vacuum. It can sometimes seem that way from the way history talks about solitary figures and isolation. Instead, people and communities and experiences form these prophetic people, and the reverberations of their words and deeds often flow in fascinating ways from generation to generation. As part of my own preparation for MLK Day this year, I've been thinking about such influences a lot. While reading a recent book that Catherine already mentioned during the spoken meditation titled The Three Mothers, how the mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin shaped a nation. It's by Dr. Anna Tubbs, who has a PhD in sociology from Cambridge University. In the cases of Alberta King, the mother of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., of Bertus Baldwin, the mother of James Baldwin, and of Louise Little, the mother of Malcolm X, it is important to remember in Tubbs's words that their lives, of course, did not begin with motherhood. Long before their sons were even thoughts in their minds, each woman had her own passions, dreams, and identity. Each woman was already living an incredible life that her children would one day follow. And despite each woman living to tragically witness the deaths of their famous sons, they each also persisted afterwards in continuing to help build the better world that we dream about. And although there would be a lot of value in reading three separate biographies about each respective woman, it was intriguing through Tubbs's book to explore their lives interwoven together, to look at the beginning of their story and just at each point to watch how they've kind of interweave and parallel and intersect and have these resonating themes and motifs. Uh, for, for instance, Louise, Burtis, and Alberta, they were all born within six years of each other, and their famous sons were all born within five years of each other. And in each of these women's lives, we find a manual of how to survive and persist in a country that stacks all the odds against you. This is a, quite a poignant book for such a time as this. For our purposes, I will have to limit myself to just a few representative glimpses, but I recommend Tubbs's book if you want more details at a little more than 200 pages. It is quite accessible. Let's begin with Louise Little. One of the foundational episodes in Malcolm X's life, part of what made him and set him on the trajectory of what he was able to become and accomplish, happened when she was still pregnant with him. It was 1925 in Omaha, Nebraska. 
One evening, a Ku Klux Klan mob surrounded their home, yelling racist insults. They were seeking to target her husband, but he was out of town. She could have just stayed on the house, in, inside the house, but what felt right was, for her was she went out on the porch and told them explicitly, I am home alone with three young children. And then she turned around and went back inside. That mob continued to smash windows and to yell further, but eventually they left. As some of you may recall, the, autobi the autobiography of Malcolm X begins with this formational moment. Each day when her children would come home from school, Louise would also ask them, what did you learn from your white teachers? And then she would supplement their lessons from the perspective of black history and from the, with the experiences of oppressed groups fighting for freedom and equality. Not just in this country, she would share with them experiences of people fighting for freedom and equality globally. If Louise Little were still alive today to witness the controversies around critical race theory, the 1619 Project, Black Lives Matter, and more, one of her messages for us today would be to maintain courage in the face of white supremacist threats. And to always keep learning how to tell history better from an anti-racist perspective that centers the experiences of oppressed groups. Turning to the life of Burtis Baldwin, she was a gifted writer herself and always wanted to perform her prose. When she noticed a similarly strong artistic bent in her son, she made sure he always had books to read. She made financial sacrifices to take him to the theater that helped inspire the plays that he would one day write. No doubt connected to their mutual love of writing, Burtis Baldwin and James Baldwin maintained an almost constant correspondence in letters for, uh, throughout his life, and he dedicated many of his works to his mother. Beyond her influence on her famous son, Burtis's legacy also echoes through many of her descendants that are still alive today, many of whom have also become artists in their own right. And if she were alive today, one of her messages to us would be that even in the midst of many systemic oppressions, as was the case in her life and continues to be the case today, she would remind us that so much good can still come from carving out time for beauty, for creativity, for art. And at the deepest level, those who knew her best said the core message that they always received from Burtis was love. At Burtis's celebration of life in 1999, her grandson spoke these words in memories of her. Bertie's song thundered against our beating hearts. Love one another, she said. Love one another and teach your friends to love one another. How we struggled, he said, to sing like our Burtis. In contrast to Burtis and Louise, who remain relatively less familiar, Alberta King was already recognized in the late 1950s as one of the mothers of the movement. She was a powerful influence on many people throughout the years, both as an activist and as a musician and a music teacher. Specifically in regard to her influence on Dr. King, he said that as he was growing older and becoming more aware of racism, one of the most crucial lessons he learned from his mother was when she told him, you are as good 
as anyone. That was pivotal for him to hear. And if Alberta were still alive today, that would be one of her core messages for us. Her words, you are as good as anyone, resonates deeply with our UU first principle of the inherent worth and dignity of every person. It also resonates strongly with the UN Declaration of Human Rights that says right in the preamble about the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And as the lives of both Alberta King and Dr. King remind us, recognizing the intrinsic value of every human being is a powerful starting point in the work of justice. In Tubbs's words, as we continue to reflect on the lives and legacy of these three mothers for how they can inspire, encourage, and embolden our own work for peace and justice today, may we learn to be as loud as Alberta's choir. May we learn to be as consistent as Burtis's love, and may we learn to be as strong and courageous as Louise's fight. And as important as those messages are, on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend, it feels crucial to not stop there. I want to invite us to keep going, to trace further the ways that Alberta's loud song for justice, that Burtis's consistent love and Louisa's courageous fight have continued down through the generations. They are with us today in this very moment. Because MLK Day weekend is tomorrow, I will narrow our focus for now to just the King family and trace our line there. Alberta gave birth to Martin Luther King Jr. in 1929, and if he were alive today, he would be celebrating his 93rd birthday. As a point of comparison, I think it's interesting to consider that Dr. King was born the same year as the television journalist Barbara Walters. He was born the same year as the actor, Christopher Plummer. Plummer died only last year. Barbara Walters is still with us in retirement. Those comparisons remind us that Dr. King's prophetic activism for peace and justice ended so tragically early. For that reason, it is all the more important to confront what the anti-racist historian Ibram Kendi has called the second assassination of Dr. King. The first assassination was a one-time event that ended Dr. King's life in 1968, more than 50 years ago. The second assassination is an ongoing attack on Dr. King's legacy, his memory, a warping and perversion of his work. Kendi details the many ways in which Dr. King's words are regularly taken out of context to cynically whitewash his meaning, to water down his message, to misappropriate his words, to support a status quo of racial inequity. In short, the nightmare of racism is being presented as King's dream. That is a deep betrayal, even a second assassination attempt. One of the most flagrant examples of this dynamic this past year is that those who would distort King's dream are also now distorting critical race theory and distorting critical race theory to distort King. So much ink has been spilled in the media to explain what critical race theory really means. You can 
Google that for and easily find that out for yourself. Suffice it to say for our purposes that critical race theory is being cynically used to undermine anti-racism. And on this MLK Day weekend, I want to be sure to focus our attention in Dr. King's words on what the fierce urgency of now calls us to do. And even a cursory study of Dr. King's life and legacy makes it, makes it clear that if there is one, one most important thing in this present moment to carry on the work that Dr. King started, it is to strengthen voting rights. As our UU Fifth Principle calls it, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and within society at large. And here's where I want to invite us to notice the reverberations that flow from Alberta and Martin Luther King Sr. to Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King and into the King family members who are still with us today. I'll give you three specific examples, starting with Dr. Bernice King, the youngest child of Dr. King and Coretta Scott King, and the current CEO of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change. Dr. Bernice King has said the following about this year's King Holiday Observance. She said, all of us must collectively use our various commemorations and our platforms on that particular day to do what Dr. King would do. She says, my father would speak and act in a way to ensure that this nation lives up to its promise of democracy by putting pressure on our United States Senate to bypass the filibuster. Instead of taking the King holiday off, as Nicole also mentioned in the story, we should take this as a day on to pass voting rights now. Likewise, tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. III, the oldest living child of MLK and Coretta King, will be leading a march in D.C. for voting rights. In his words, there should be no celebration without legislation. He says, we're calling directly on Congress not to pay lip service to my father's ideals without doing the very thing that would protect his legacy, what he lived and ultimately what he was killed for trying to do, passing voting rights legislation. This sentiment dovetails with Kendi's call to resist the second assassination of Dr. King. It is hollow to claim to celebrate MLK Day if we fail to carry on working toward a key aspect of what he dedicated his life to, securing and protecting the equal right to vote for all adult U.S. citizens. Importantly, we don't have to speculate about what might Dr. King have thought about the filibuster. He was actually on the record about that way back in 1963. He said then, the tragedy is that we have a Congress and a Senate that has a minority of misguided senators that are using the filibuster to keep the majority of people from even voting. Those same racist dynamics are playing out today. To carry on Dr. King's legacy, the King family and many other social justice activists, including many UUs, are calling on the Senate to pass two key pieces of legislation. The Freedom to Vote Act, which includes automatic voter registration, protecting and expanding voting to right, uh, the right to vote by mail, as well as uh, a number of other provisions, and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. 
Today, we are seeing history repeat itself as states across this country pass voter suppression laws that limit access to voting, impose harsher voter ID laws, reduce polling place availability, and make it difficult to cast absentee ballots. The John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act responds to current conditions in voting by restoring the full provisions of the original bipartisan Voting Rights Act of 1965. This week's UUCF e-newsletter that is linked right in the center of our homepage, frederickuu.org, includes multiple ways for, uh, to advocate for voting rights as well as to make MLK Day a, vote, a day on, not just a day off. I should also be sure to name that, as anyone following recent headlines is aware, the current state of affairs in trying to pass voting rights is infuriating, to say the very least. But continuing to press for voting rights legislation to pass remains vital for the health of our democracy, and there may well still be a vote this Tuesday. There's a link also on, at uuthevote.org. If you're not signed up to receive uh, email from uuthevote.org, that's our own attempt to secure democracy based on our own UU values, I encourage you to sign up there as well. There's a link that makes calling your senators quite easy. As you've heard me say before about various issues, if you're feeling overwhelmed as one individual in the face of you know, overwhelming odds, stop being one person. Go to organizations like UU The Vote so we can leverage our collective people power. I thought also that the kid president that was shared in our story for, by, for all ages that Nicole shared was really powerful, just reminding us that, yes, it's really hard to get voting rights legislation right now, but look at all that Dr. King faced, getting jailed, eventually being killed for working for justice. So uh, I think that reminder encourages us to, emboldens us to press on even when it's hard. As I move to my conclusion, I want to share with you one final example of how the legacies of these three mothers with which we began are now rippling out even unto the fourth generation. The 13-year-old Yolanda Renee King. Some of you like me may remember seeing her for the first time as a nine-year-old, I believe. She spoke powerfully at the March for Our Lives rally uh, to prevent gun violence. And now as a 13-year-old, uh, she is Alberta King's great-grandchild and the first and only grandchild of Dr. King and Coretta Scott King. Yolanda Renee King recently told the Washington Post, my grandmother said that every generation has to earn its freedom. But I want my generation, she said, to secure freedom for all those who come after us. This is our moment to rise up and protect our voting rights. Young people have always been at the forefront of change and we won't stop pushing until we get this done. May it be so, and I look forward to the leadership that Yolanda King will continue to bring in her life. To come full circle, I will give the final words for now to Dr. Tubbs from the end of her book, The Three Mothers. Taken together, the lives and the legacy of these three powerful black women teach us that we each possess inherent worth. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves less worthy of that inherent worth. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves more worthy. We have inherent worth and dignity, and we must recognize that worth in each other. 
We are very different from one another, but we can still offer each other affirmation and guidance. Those three women were quite different from one another, but we can still look to them. We must take pride in ourselves, in our children, and in our shared mission for each person to be granted the basic right to live with dignity, happiness, and recognition. In that spirit, in a few moments, we'll hear our musical interlude, which was written as part of the South African anti-apartheid movement. As you listen, I encourage you to continue discerning how do you feel called to act in the coming days for peace, justice, equality, voting rights. I also encourage you to stick around after the musical interlude for the anthem to follow. We have prepared a powerful musical litany for you for this Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend. For now, let's listen together to Freedom is Coming. 